I love America. It's been my home all my life. Ladies and gentlemen, the very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. my home all my life. If you don't know the past, you're only doomed to repeat it. Welcome to Public Access America. This is your history. This is your country. This is America. Join us in listening to some of history's America's best speeches. Created by Jarcodes Productions. Go back in time with us right now on Public Access America. Ace, my friends, please welcome Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. I'm, I'm intimidated, actually. Um, I'm honored that uh, so many people showed up. And I don't know if any of you, uh, and let me know if you can, if you can hear this okay, because I get a lot of feedback where I'm at, but you're okay in the back? Okay. I, I'm gonna talk for just a few minutes, and then I wanna really kind of open it up for questions. And I use the, in, in the question and answer sort of period, I use the Socratic method, basically, if nobody wants to ask a question, I'm going to ask one and then pick a person in the audience to, to, uh, to answer it. So, um, so it's kind of how I, how I roll here. I wanted to give you a, a little bit of my background. Okay, first of all, I grew up 45 minutes south of here in a little town called Middletown, Rhode Island. I went to Middletown High School. Yep, Rhode Island. I love it. I went to Middletown High School. I'm a graduate of the University of Rhode Island. 1981 URI, so anybody that's going to that school, maybe, if, maybe there's one or two here. It's a great school. I, I, uh, it's actually, it's a school, it's one of the first land-grant universities in the country, and most people don't know it, but uh, one of the things, one of the amazing things that Abraham Lincoln did while he was the President of the United States is he passed the Land-Grant University Act. And the reason why he passed it, because Abraham Lincoln said, even the underprivileged in our country should be able to go to attend higher education, and he created the land-grant university system. And the University of Rhode Island was one of the first 10 universities in the country, and at that time it was Rhode Island College, to be created. So there's a lot of things that people don't know about our, our history, and I'm gonna talk a little bit about some of the challenges that we're facing, that we're facing today. And what I like to do in, in, uh, in the way that I uh, operate, the way that I think, and the kinds of things that I get involved in is we have so many problems that we're dealing with. I, I have a card in my pocket that I carry around that lays out some of the, it's actually the 10 biggest threats and challenges that our country faces going forward. Not the problems of the past, but the things that the next president of the United States, the, the perils that the next president is going to have to deal with, and actually it's the next probably four to five presidents. So I, I will tell you, again, a little bit about my background. I'm one of nine children. I'm right in the middle of nine children. I'm from an Irish Catholic family, again, from the state of Rhode Island. 
I went into the ROTC program, never thinking that you know I was going to stay in the Army as long as I did. I spent nearly three and a half decades in the Army. My last assignment, I was the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, which is one of the largest intelligence agencies, not only in the country, but in the world. In fact, there is no other country in the world that has a larger intelligence agency than, than, uh, than, than the one that I ran, DIA. I was also in the role of the, of the senior military intelligence officer for the country, responsible for tens of thousands of people in about 145 countries around the world. So pretty, pretty extensive um, you know, set of, of responsibilities and things that I, that I did. But what's more important over the previous probably decade leading up to uh, where I came to, to decide that I wanted to write this book. Let me, let me, hand me that book because I should have probably brought one up here. Thank you. And I'll talk, I'm going to talk a little bit about this book, why, what, and sort of who. Um, but I spent almost five years in combat in primarily in Iraq and Afghanistan, but other places around the world that, uh, that our special operations operate within against this enemy. Against this enemy, primarily against this enemy, but in the, in the case of Al-Qaeda or is the Islamic State, you know, in the, in the Levant, whatever you want to call them, there is a disease inside of the Islamic world that has metastasized to the point where they are executing a campaign plan based on a declaration of war by the Islamic State and the leadership of the Islamic State. They have declared war against us, us being the West, principally the United States of America. And that's the number one reason why I wrote this book, is because they have declared war against us. We are now 15 years, in another month here, we're going to be 15 years after 9-11. Their fight has actually been going on much longer against us. I mean, most people forget about the, the, you know, the, uh, the, the 1993 attack on the World Trade Center. But that was sort of a, uh, an, an inkling. But we have also had embassies bombed, a lot of Americans killed overseas by countries like Iran. Now talk a little bit about Iran. Iran is still designated by the United States of America, by our United States State Department, still today. And it goes back to 1984, they are still designated as a state sponsor of terrorism. Still, today, still on the books. You can go look it up on a website. It's unbelievable. Even though we just gave the nation of Iran a pathway to a nuclear bomb. Now, whether they build it in 10 years or 15 years or next year, the United States of America agreed to give the leading state sponsor of terrorism a pathway to a nuclear bomb. I mean, a phrase that the rabbi just used is common sense. There is no common sense in our government right now. None. To, to give Iran... Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And, and as part of this deal, $150 billion. And everybody has seen this latest $400 million paid in the, in the ransom. I mean... There's so many unbelievable things that are going on in the country today and the lack, of, uh, the lack of strategic thinking that's happening across our country. So the, the main reason is because there is a war declared against us and our government does not allow us to talk about this enemy. So they don't allow us to, to clearly define this enemy. I mean, this debate that you see 
going on in our national debate, in our primaries and, and both sides of the aisle. You know, the struggle that our president has had to, to clearly define the enemy. I mean, tactics 101 in warfare is if you don't know the enemy, then you cannot defeat the enemy, period. That's a, that is something that we learn as second lieutenants or sergeants, you know, when you're going through your basic training, is to clearly identify the enemy. In fact, that's why we even have a military. And our military, and I won't get too, too far down the road with our military, but we don't need a military that, that is this nurtured military. We need a military that is a warrior class military. You only, we only have a, a military to fight and defend our country, you know, both domestically and, and, and in foreign wars. And we want them to be able to go out there and kill the enemy if necessary. This is not about which bathroom you're going to use. This is about, yeah, this is about having a, thank you. It's super, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. The second major purpose, and it, and it has to do with the, with the subtitle of the book. And, and I tell you what, myself and Michael Ledeen, who's my co-author, who's a great friend of mine, and he's, a, he's one of the leading thinkers in our country, particularly on, on the, uh, Iran. The second, or the, the hardest thing about this book was figuring out what the, what the subtitle was going to be. Because we could write all day about how bad and how difficult and how smart and how savvy this enemy is. But what we wanted to do is we wanted to describe how we can win. Because if there's something that I believe, there is no enemy that's unbeatable and there's no ideology better than the American ideology. Period. Hands down. Amen. So, you know, so when you go through this, and the other thing is, is I always, I, I joke about it a little bit, although I, I did a thing down in my hometown last night, my ninth grade English teacher showed up, and I don't think the guy ever gave me better than a D plus, you know? And uh, Mr. Barker was his name. It was pretty, pretty good. It was amazing that, he's, uh, that he showed up. It was very nice of him. But I, I was a terrible student. I was an absolutely terrible student. I always joke a little bit that I really didn't know how to read or learn how to read until I was about 30 years old. And, and so, uh, you know, I'm one of these comic book readers. I look at the sports page, maybe read an op-ed here, here and there. But I got to writing really in the second half of my career. It's one of the hardest things to do is to actually take what you know put it down on words so people can capture, people can understand what it is. And so I try to be very simple in my writing. And that's why this book is a very short book, because it's, it's my language. It's simple, and it tells, this isn't for military people, this is for any American to read this thing and go, Jesus, we got a problem. And I, and I understand this problem. But the other aspect about this, about this book is it is a strategy for how we can win. And if there's one thing that the American public can do, the American citizen can do, and the Americans you know, understand is how to win. We just have forgotten about it because of some of the nonsense that we see coming out of our political class in Washington, D.C., period. Thank you. Thank you. So, so a couple of things, and I'm going to give you some recent data because I think it's really important. In the last 60 days, just in the last 60 days, so when, when, we have, when the president says, you know, they're JVs, they're on the run, and even a couple of weeks ago after Orlando, when, when you know, the, uh, the, the, just the horrendous attack in Orlando, and the president said, well, what, what difference does it make what we call these guys? I mean, almost joking about it in a sense. This is not, this is very, very serious. 
In the last 60 days, in at least 25 countries around the world, there have been over 150 attacks by the Islamic State, either inspired or personally directed. 25 countries, over 150 attacks, and the, and the number of people that have been killed or wounded, mortally wounded in some cases, is over 7,000 just in the last two months alone. How many of you heard about the most recent attack in Roanoke, Virginia? Raise your hand. Yeah, so not everybody, maybe, maybe a third of the people here. I mean, an individual, you know, the individual is trying to cut the head. In fact, he, he succeeded in one and, and nearly succeeded in the other, killed both people. You know, these are not people that are yelling Jesus Christ. Okay? They're yelling Allahu Akbar, and it's like, okay, so, you know, when, the, when a person, a certain person who I support, uh, says, hey, there's a problem here. Well, trust me, folks, there's a problem here. There is a problem here. Some people will argue that, you know, Islam is Islam. What I believe about Islam, and I write about this in the book, I believe that Islam is a political ideology. So if you study, you know, and actually a very good book about this is called Destiny Disrupted. So if you're thinking about other books too, because frankly, this book is a message. This is a message to America. And in the book that I just mentioned, Destiny Disrupted, is a very, very simple way to understand what happened. What happened? It doesn't talk about you know, how to win or anything like that, but it talks about what happened. And I think it's a really important book, actually. And this, this is also a very, very important message. And when I, when I sat down to sort of ink out the first chapter of it, about a summer, in fact, last summer, we were debating on when to, uh, when to have this thing published. And the, and the goal was is to have it published before both of the political conventions. Because at that time, I just figured, you know, I'm out of, the, out of the military. I was still trying to figure out what I was going to do. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to send a message to our political leadership in this country that we are facing a very determined enemy. Very determined enemy. Twice. I was in, in combat in 2006 and in 2009, 2006 in Iraq. In 2009, I returned to Afghanistan for my third tour there. And, 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 and essentially at that point in time when I returned, that was my fourth year there. We were losing. So the most sophisticated you know, military apparatus that was ever assembled since really World War II, both those periods of time, 2006 in Iraq, we were losing. 2009, we were losing. We were losing to guys that I facetiously described were wearing bathroom slippers and, uh, and bathrobes. But yet they're the most cunning, sophisticated, technology-savvy enemy that we have faced in a long time. I mean, you look at all the stuff, and I pay very close attention to this, but, and maybe the folks in here don't, but you look at this enemy that we're facing, and there's one of them, one of the guys, one of the guys actually has like 75,000 Twitter followers. And, and when you look at, when you do the analysis of those followers, I don't know how many of you are on social media, but when you look at the forensics of some of those followers that this one individual has, and this one individual is the spokesperson for the Islamic State right now, in some cases, they're able to retweet out to over a million people. So their reach, their actual reach in our, in our analysis, it actually gets out to about half a billion people every time this guy sends a message out. 
Okay, now how many of you know, just, just again, the last 24 hours, last 20, this is all last 24 hours, so this is not, I don't even talk about this in the book. What I talk about is why we're here, what I've experienced and what I've seen, and then how we can defeat this enemy. But just in the last 24 hours, we've seen another big message coming out of the, the Al-Qaeda side of this, talking about how they need to reinitiate some of their attacks against the West, and who's, who's the individual that put the message out? Bin Laden's son. Bin Laden's son, who has been protected. So this is the Shia-Sunni debate that people yell about, like, let them, let them just kill each other. Well, Bin Laden's son is actually protected by Iran today. I mean, a lot of, a lot of members of Al-Qaeda who would otherwise not want to be under the guise of the Shia-dominated side of Islam they actually get protected. In fact, in fact, Iran has been protecting members of Al-Qaeda for years, for years. And we would go out on, on uh, combat raids and try to capture some of these guys who would come in and out of, they'd come in and out of Iraq with messages, messages or trying to you know, conduct some type of command and control operations. And we would go up and try to capture them. And this is mainly up in the northeast part of Iraq. And these individuals were members of Al-Qaeda. And they were primarily Libyans. It's so complex, so complex. The, the biggest issue that we're facing today, though, is right here at home. So our FBI director, Jim Comey, who I know, I, I've, I've, you know, I've lost a little bit of the shine for Jim just because of what he did with the whole issue with Hillary Clinton, who I just, I, I said publicly a year and a half ago, before I get into this political nonsense that we're involved in, that I'm involved in, I said a year and a half ago on national television for her to step down because she has zero accountability for herself. So that's kind of my one political soapbox. None. She has none. She has none. She has absolutely none. She, she has no personal responsibility. So, so I, I would just tell you that big, big, big decisions that are coming up here in a couple of months for this country. But what we're, what we're facing here, and, and the director of the FBI said just a couple of months ago, the FBI right now has a thousand cases that they are working on that are, uh, that are related to the Islamic State in all 50 of our states here in this country. A thousand cases. There's only 17,000 FBI agents. The, the FBI has a, has a larger organization in terms of numbers, but there's only 17,000 actual agents. So if you think that there's at least a thousand uh, cases that are, that are Islamic State related, I mean, directly related uh, to what they're doing, I mean, I'm, let me tell you, we don't have the resources. The FBI doesn't have the resources because of all the things that they're having to do just with Hillary Clinton's emails, never mind what other problems we have in this country. So we have a big problem right here at home, right here at home. And we are not allowed, because you're going to be called a racist, you're going to be called an Islamophobe, you're going to be called all sorts of names. You know, please call me that. Please call me that, because I love the debate. If there was one thing I learned growing up in a family of nine was to argue. <laughs> you know, for a pair of socks or a pair of underwear, but to argue. And I will, I will tell you, I have, sat, I have sat directly across from senior members of Al-Qaeda. Okay? I mean... Some of the most vicious people that you would ever, you'd ever think that, you, that, that existed on the planet. And they're unbelievable. They're, they're incredibly barbaric. But what else are they? 
They're doctors, they're engineers, they're clerics, they're teachers, and they're about my age. Okay? They're about my age. These are not, you know, the 12-year-old the that blew himself up in, in uh, Ghazi and Tep, Turkey the other day, or the typical, you know, 18 to 22-year-old young kid that doesn't know what he really wants to do, and he joins the, he joins the uh, you know, the, the sort of the, the following. And um, so, I, you know, these are, these are adult men, adult men that are running this organization. Incredibly, incredibly barbaric. But they, are so, but they are very, very smart, and they're very savvy. One of the challenges that we have right here in this country is really is our freedom of religion. Because Islam is a political ideology. And I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples of why I believe that. And all, all you have to do is just really deeply, deeply look at this, this whole belief system. But you have the Islamic Republic of Iran, you have the Islamic Republic of Pakistan, you have the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan. All of them have a form of this Sharia law that they follow. One of the things that we should not fear in this country, we should not fear, and the patriots that stood not too far from here, Lexington Common, they did not fear what they believed and fought and stood there and fought the initial fight against a, a British group coming down the road, and you know where they came from? They came from a church. Most people don't know that. They thought it was just a bunch of, you know, patriots that got their guns, and they, sh and they showed up on the, you know, on the Lexington Common. They actually came from their church, and their pastor said, we have got to stand, you know, for our country. And so today, today, we have this same challenge. This is the same challenge. It's, it's packaged a bit differently. We must act differently because we're supposed to be a civil society and we act at the voting booth. It's, very, it's, a, it's, it's a good thing. But we should not fear what our country was built upon. Our country was built upon the, the foundation of Judeo-Christian principles, values, norms. And we should fight. We should fight this idea of this imposition of Sharia law into our system. And believe me, folks, it is happening. It is happening. All you have to do is go and look up something called the American Laws for American Courts. American Laws for American Courts. I don't know if it's happening up here in Massachusetts. It's happening in other states. And you're going to have, I've had people in the media, mainstream media, that have said, oh, it's, that's all a conspiracy. It's a lie. No. In the state of Florida, the state of Florida, they have 36 senators at the state level. 36 senators at the state level. Twelve of them are Democrats. The Republicans hold the majority in the, in the Florida State Senate. All 12 Democrats, all 12 Democrats voted to impose Sharia law at the local and state level. Now, it was beaten because the Republicans are, are in charge. I'm telling you, this is American laws for America's courts. So th this is the kind of thing, if you're not paying attention... And this is why, you know, one, I'm, I'm deeply honored to have uh, so many of you show up here tonight. And I don't know where you all came from and you know, how far you drove to be here, but I really, I'm, I'm in, I mean, it's awesome. But tonight I would ask you to like to stand or be prepared to stand like those patriots stood on Lexington Common or on the North Bridge, not too far from here, you know, over a couple of hundred years ago. In order to keep the country that we have, we have to fight for this country. And we fight for this country in different ways. 
We fight for this country in different ways. You heard the passion of Rabbi Hausman about what his mission is. Super important. All of us have a mission in life. Whether you get involved at the local level, state level, whether you get involved in your church, whether you get involved in Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever way that you need, you feel you need to be uh, patriotic, the one thing that you must do is you cannot, you cannot sit this particular election out. Okay? You cannot sit this election out. Our, our lifestyle, the way our world, the way we want this country to be, is changing. It is definitely changing. If there's one thing, and I won't get into the, into the weeds of the, of the demographics of our country, which has changed fundamentally over the last 50 years. Un unbelievable. Population in our country has tripled, has tripled since 1950. And, it, and it, will, it will increase again by the middle of this century. So those of us that, that think strategically and, and think about the way we want this country to be, to try to keep this big old thing moving in the right direction, right now it's moving in the wrong direction. When people use the word progressive, progressive is a politically correct way of saying socialist. That that's what it is. So, but, but for young people, for, for young people that, 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 you know, because a lot of young people go, those that were kind of jumping on the bandwagon with Bernie Sanders, for young people, they think, oh, that sounds cool. Why not be progressive? Because it's a cool word. Sounds neat. But it actually it means socialism. It means socialism. And there is, a, there is a large shift in this country towards socialism. Okay? And what we want is we want our country to basically, we want our security, we want our safety, we want to be left alone, we want to be able to follow our own constitution the way we want to follow our constitution. And today that's really difficult. Because when you try to do something in this country, first you can't even do the, the Pledge of Allegiance, you can't even fly a flag, you can't put the Ten Commandments or the menorah or whatever outside of a church anymore because somebody comes by and either destroys it or your government tells you to get rid of it. I mean, what is going on in this country? So wh what is going on? We have a movement inside of, our, inside of our bloodstream that has gotten into our DNA a little bit. And we have to understand what it is our government must be honest. Because I will tell you that if there's one thing that I fought while I was in uniform was the dishonesty that I saw from our federal government. They're just totally dishonest. I mean, lying to the American public. And so, if there's one thing that we cannot have is we cannot have a disconnect between our federal government and the people of this country. Because when that gap widens, we have problems. And all of you know this. I mean, I'm not saying anything up here that's new. This is, people feel it. I feel it in this country when I go around and I talk to a lot of people. And I see a lot of people who are wondering what's going on in our country. And this, this divisiveness that exists, the political class of our, of our country that has really failed to really give us the kinds of things that we expect, which is just honesty. I mean, just tell the truth. I mean, I'm a tough guy. I, I like to, you know, I, Americans are tough people. Resilient people. We have put up with a lot over our, over our history. And we're willing to do the same as we go forward. So to, to kind of wrap it up here tonight and just open it up for some questions, I would just tell you, take responsibility for your own actions. Don't watch some of these politicians who fail to do that. And the one thing that I would do is understand that the message that, that is a very powerful message in this book, The Field of Fight, this is for real. 
This is coming from a guy who does not scare easily, but I am scared about what it is that we are facing. Because I'm afraid that this thing has moved so much, so fast, so far, it's expanded geographically. People I tell you, around the world are looking at it going, what is happening? Can we stop it? Is it too late? And like I said uh, up front, there's no enemy that is, that is unbeatable and there's no ideology better than ours. So thank you very much and I'll take any questions for a few minutes here, okay? Thank you. I'm going to go right to this gentleman right here at the end of the. Just asking to yeah. uh, repeat the questions. Okay, I will. Okay. Sure, will. Yeah. Thanks for coming out during your comments. Uh, I fully intend on buying the book. Can you give us an idea, a little uh, prelude to what your uh, plans are to defeat the ideology? Yeah, I mean, one of the things is that, and I, I start with this, and this really goes after being able to attack the ideology, discredit the ideology. I mean, we still have to do some military operations and, and the kinds of things that we're doing, but this doesn't mean you know more boots on the ground because I always get asked that question. One of the things that I call for in the book is the creation of a new 21st century alliance. Uh, Rabbi Hausman mentioned President al-Sisi of, of Egypt. President al-Sisi is a good friend of mine. I've known him for a long time. He and I were actually, we were colleagues when I was the senior intelligence officer at US Central Command down in Tampa. We had responsibility for East Africa, the Middle East, and Central Asia. And, and al-Sisi was the head of intelligence at that time in the Egyptian military. So he and I became friends, actually. And uh, what, I, what I felt like we should have done was we should have embraced him when he gave his great intellectually courageous speech at the Al-Azhar Mosque at the end of about a year and a half ago, beginning of 2015, end of 2014. And uh, Al-Azhar Mosque, for, for people that don't know, it's kind of like the, the analogy, it's sort of like the Vatican of the Muslim world. And first time, an Egypt, first time a Muslim leader of a country ever spoke in front of that other than, a, other than an imam or a cleric. So he stood there and we did not embrace him. We should have embraced him. One of the things that I call for is a new 21st century alliance and principally putting the, the, the burden on the backs of the Arab world. And, and uh, al-Sisi was calling for that. So. So there's some steps that we're trying to take right now, actually in the political process, to try to get this idea um, in place. It will exist, it will exist. Trust me, it will exist because we, we have to, the Arab world has to take more responsibility for what's happening. But in order to get there, they're gonna need US leadership. But the idea of discrediting the ideology, we spent 40 years, 40 years discrediting the ideology of communism. 40 years. I mean, I remember as a kid, Talking, you know, about communists, right, in school and, and what it meant and what we had to do as a kid growing up. We can't, we can't talk about radical Islamism in our school system. I mean, you'd be thrown out. You'd be suspended. You'd be sent home. And then you're, you're, you as parents with your kids, you'd be, people would be, you know, wondering about you. You'd be called names. We, we can't have that. We're, we are facing another ism, just like we face Nazism and fascism and imperialism and communism. This is Islamism, and, it, and it, is a, it is a vicious cancer inside the body of 1.7 billion people on this planet, and it has to be excised. So, and we should not, again, we should not fear this idea. We should define it clearly, and we should go after it. And we, we, we the United States, when we 
We are, the, we are the best enemies in the world because we continue to telegraph everything that we're going to do. And we're absolutely the worst friends because we just leave all of our friends aside. I mean, when we, when we put a red line down, which is the stupidest thing to do for any commander-in-chief, to state a red line, unless you're going to do something about it. So you never play a card and go, well, here's my ace of spades. So when, when we, as we're playing our card game, I'm going to use that at some point in time. You don't do that. You don't do that. And we become the worst friends by, by that particular act. That particular act was so devastating for the United States of America because not only did they violate a big old chemical weapons treaty, but they did it on their own people. 400,000 people have been killed in Syria. Half of the country, 35 million people, half of that are displaced or refugees. Most of them are all off into Europe. And this, our president wants to bring 100,000 of them here. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm for like what, you know, what one of the candidates says, which is, oh, let's hold on here. Something's going on. We have to, we have to figure out what we have to do. So go right up to this man, and then I'll come over here. Let's repeat the question. Okay, I will. Okay, okay. Right, so let me repeat the question. So is, is Obama uh, doing this intentionally? Or is he uh, incompetent? And, and, is he, and is he a Muslim? Okay, so now this is where I say we're to blame. Okay, we, we, you, me, are to blame. Because all you have to do, and most people don't do these things, I do because it's, a, it's part of who I am. All you gotta do is read what he's written and listen to what he says. It's that simple. And well before he became president of the United States the first time, he said what he was going to do. He said it. So that's why, you know, when, you know and then the second time, you know, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. I mean, what happened? So the second time he comes in, I, and honestly, the first time, I was kind of hopeful. I'm like, well, hey, maybe, you know, we're enlightened. You know, this country, you know, this is going to be a good guy. He says all these things. But I'm listening to what he's saying. I'm like, wow, this is different. This is different. So this is an individual who has an ideology that will, that, and he has apologized for all the ill will of the United States of America over, over our history, for who we have been. And he has, you know, the apology tour. His speech in Cairo was unbelievable. I mean, it was like I'm sitting there and I'm listening to it because I was deployed at that time and we're watching what our president's saying because it's going to cause some impact. And boy, did it cause an impact. It caused, the, it caused the Muslim world to blow up. So this is a, a president that has a, an ideology that he, he talked about before he came into office. And then he talked about it again as he was coming back in. So that's why I say, you know, I'm in the arena. I am, I am smack dab in the middle of this arena. I don't mind people up in the bleachers throwing rocks at me as long as they vote. Okay? If you don't vote, then go out into the parking lot. Okay? Or go home. And keep your mouth shut because you must. This is not an election to sit out. And listen. Listen to what people are saying. Listen to what the specific individuals are saying. Look at their actions. Look at what their actions are. Judge people. It's like, you, you know, your kids, right? How you judge your kids. I'm gonna, let me jump over to this side, if that's okay, just because. Sure, tell 
Okay, right. Yes, ma'am, with the nice yellow hat on. Yes, ma'am. Vote your conscience. Yeah, vote your conscience. I, I mean, I don't know what your statement is, but or your comment is your question. But you know, I, my my thing is is that we have to pay attention to what's going on, and and I I, I address this uh, you know quite a bit in our book because uh, in in this book it's about honesty. I mean, this is about telling the truth to the American public for what it is that we're facing. Because I'm telling you, I mean, I have fought these guys. They are very, very determined. These guys are very determined. This is not a bunch of 20-year-olds in shower shoes and bathrobes. This is a very dedicated, smart enemy that has a plan, and they are executing their plan. So let me, let me, yeah, let me get one more back. Let me go way in the back, if that's okay, because we'll be here to sign in books and all that, and I can answer other questions. That young, young gentleman with the beard. Yeah. Second, I have the microphone, and please, if you could quickly ask your question. Yeah. Um, to uh, Islam, uh, in your opinion, do you think that we would have to send troops into Raqqa in order to eradicate the problem? Yeah, I mean, I, I do. We would, you know, Raqqa, Syria is the headquarters for the Islamic State. And, and actually, uh, we have forces that are already operating in and around those areas. The thing to do with the military, and this is a mili you know, the, the, the military component of this is actually the easiest component. Okay? That's the easiest component. All you got to do is tell our great military, give them a mission, and, and, and unleash them. And do it with the, the, uh, the partners that we do have in that region right now, but they're so ham hamstrung, their hands are tied. Our military's hands are tied. So I can give you all kinds of examples of, of you know, what I've seen in the last couple of years, but even recently with trying to uh, destroy some of the targets that we know exist, they're just not allowed to do that. So, so the military aspect of this is a very easy part. You, you give the military a mission, they'll go do it and, and let them go do what they're very capable of doing. The harder part is the political and the diplomatic component of this. It's a very difficult one because especially if you have leadership in our country that is unwilling to actually define the enemy that we're facing. I mean, have the intellectual courage to, do the, to, to take the harder right path, to do the harder right thing, instead of having this sort of ideological you know, direction that you want to take this country, which is essentially what has happened over the last eight years. And our country has, has shifted to a far more left country, back to your statement, ma'am, a far more left country than it ever was. I hope that it's, irre you know, that it's reversible. I do, I pray that it's reversible. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure, to be honest with you, I, I don't know. I, I do believe that historic leaders show up on our stage, on our sort of stage periodically to play that role that needs to be played, and guys like Abraham Lincoln was one of them. Now, I don't know if that's what's stepping up, but it's certainly, Certainly a different type of leader that's now in the fray, in the political fray. And, you know, you don't know. I know what we just saw was not somebody that has any leadership skills when they were running for president the first time. Zero. Zero leadership skills. There's more leadership in a Sergeant E-5 in our Army than there was in the, in the current president when he first ran for president. I mean, come on. So... Okay, that's it. I'm, I'm being told that's it. No more questions. Sorry. 
Uh, you know, we're gonna, I'm going to be here for as, as long as I can to do uh, some book signing and no, stuff like no, that. No awe. It's very yeah. simple. If you purchase the book, uh, the general is happy to sign for you. Yeah. He's yeah. not going to send it to you and your entire family, your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, <laughs> and your in-laws. But it'll be about yeah. just to sign his yeah. name. That'll be in the back. Yeah. There's a table in the back. If you yeah. haven't purchased the book, there are plenty available for purchase in the back at $25 a volume. My friends, let's thank General yeah, Flynn so much. Yeah. And give it, give this, give this book to a young person. Give it to a young person who is who is struggling, trying to understand what it is that's going on. Because frankly, for the most of us in here, we we got what we got. This is for our children and our grandchildren. Because I'm telling you, folks, this country will not be the country that we know it to be a hundred years from now when they're getting ready to have their own children. So, I mean, this is a big, big deal. This is a big time. So thank you very much for being here. Hey, Petey, have you heard about this new podcast, Public Access America? You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, Player FM, TuneIn Radio, and even the Stitcher Smart Radio app. It's so cool. Not good enough. But are you a German spy? Because that sounds like technology. It's like that new thing, the radio, or a newspaper for your ears. You can even follow their production company, Jar Codes, on Twitter or Facebook and find all new episodes posted every day. Oh, that's cool. I don't care nothing about no planes, but I gotta hear the latest episode of Public Access America now. Oh, watch the bomb. You can even go to their YouTube channel at Public Access America.